you help me look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor how was your week? Make sure you get a response. You know how you get a response? Just keep looking at them. <laughs> yeah, if you ask somebody a question and they didn't answer, I mean, you didn't get an answer, you just keep looking. To say, I'm still waiting. <laughs> okay, ask again. How was your week? It's good to see everyone in church this morning. I pray that as you step into a new week from today, that the hand of God will rest upon you. Everywhere you go this week, you will feel God's presence. In the precious name of Jesus, you will enjoy safety and divine preservation. Your steps shall be ordered in righteousness. Everything you lay your hands to do this week will prosper. Doors will open unto you this week. You will enjoy God's presence. You will enjoy revelation knowledge. Somebody's coming out of confusion. Somebody's walking out of depression. Joy, the joy of the Lord will visit your heart this week. And it will take residence in your heart. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's good to see everyone in church this morning. I think last Sunday, about this time, I must have been speaking to about one quarter of this, this crowd. <laughs> because the, the rain kept everyone at home. It was, um, it was a wonderful weekend in this part of the city. And uh, if the rain affected you, um, we pray that God will restore back to you anything you may have lost. In the precious name of Jesus. And like I said last Sunday, let us all together continue to take responsibility for our environment yeah, and um, just deal with the blame game. It's not just about our leaders. It's all of us. It's a collective responsibility to, to, you know, to care for our environment, to prepare for changes in season, and to make sure uh, that we do our part so that we can reduce emergency situations. Uh, some things are inevitable, but the effect can be reduced. We can't do anything about the volume of rain, but we can prepare to accommodate it yeah, by making sure that we have adequate drainage and the drainages are well cleared out and our environment you know, is such that it's ready uh, for any eventualities. And we're also our brother's keepers. So if you haven't um, even asked any of your friends how the rain affected them, please do. Some of them may be beefing you right now. <laughs> Just thinking that my friends have not even called me to say, how, how am I faring? Glory be to Jesus. All right, we started a teaching series last Sunday. And um, I love the song from the Elevation Priest of Praise this morning. How many of you really enjoyed that song? Can, you, can we appreciate them one more time? It says, we are the light of the world. A city that is set upon the hill that cannot be hidden. By the light of the world. We have been placed here as light and illumination to our world. And God has specific assignments for each and every one of us. We started this teaching series that we tagged Star Witness. And it borders seriously on the assignment of the believer in Christ Jesus to be a witness for God. This is often overlooked. And we're often preoccupied by many other things that bother our minds and that we have set, uh, we, we, we've set goals to achieve. One of the greatest things that can happen to anyone is to realize the fact that there's one goal that you did not set for yourself. And that's the goal to be born into this world. Yeah, that's one goal that you did not set for yourself. Whoever made it happen 
for you to come into this world as the time you came and you came alive and well definitely had a goal for your life. Had something in mind. Had a mission for your life. And God was, you know, not missing word about it at all. All through the scriptures, you see specific people that God spoke to the end that, you know, he had a plan for them. And the Bible says no, 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 no scriptures of any private interpretation. So what God spoke to one is speaking to all. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. So in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 5, he said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. It means that God specifically said that uh, form or purpose predates form. Purpose is before shape, is before form. Before I formed you, I knew you and I ordained you or I gave you a purpose. I gave you an assignment. So my assignment predates my shape. So I love to encourage people. When we talk about, you know, people who compare themselves to other people. Like, you know, you can imagine me now wishing that I'm taller. Um, height is probably not part of my assignment. <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Or me thinking that I should be fatter than this. This size is just appropriate for my assignment. I don't know if you're getting me. Because God said, before I formed you, I knew you. And then I had a purpose for you. So don't wish that you are lighter in complexion. This chocolate color is just perfect for your assignment. Yeah. And if, you, and if your own is not chocolate, it's like charcoal. It's also okay. It's just okay for, <laughs> for the assignment. <laughs> Praise God. It's just okay for the assignment. It's okay for the assignment. Before I knew you, I mean, before I formed you, I knew you. And I would, there's a purpose. There's a mission. God has a mission in mind for you and I. He has something in mind that he wanted to achieve. Somebody, I mean, I was speaking somewhere over this weekend. Uh, I think I, I spoke at like two different conferences on yesterday um, in Ibadan and Ijebode. And I can't remember whether it was Ibadan or Ijebode. One of the places I was speaking over this weekend, I, <laughs> I asked the question, who set the goal for you to be born? It was Ibadan, yesterday morning. Who set the goal for you to be born? Somebody in the congregation said, my parents. <laughs> and I laughed and I said but you know many parents are setting goals there's one person in charge of the goal who actually set the real goal is the giver of children is the one that we pray to to give us godly children am I saying the truth? Yeah. that means according to the time of life he is the one that releases somebody say amen to that yeah and when he does that, then he has something in mind. He has a purpose in mind. There's a purpose in his mind. And one of the great purpose in the mind of God is that you will have a mission and that you will fulfill your mission. So God is at work in the world and he wants you to join him in his work. We all have a part, you know, we are all a part of God's puzzle and the things that he's doing here. His work can never be complete until all of us, you know, key in into our own assignment. So this assignment is called your mission. 
God wants you to have both a ministry to the body of Christ and a mission to the world. So you have a ministry to your church or to the body of Christ. You have a mission to the world, which is unsaved. You have a mission to the world that is unsaved. So God wants you to have, like I said, both a ministry to the body of Christ and a mission to the world. Your ministry is your service to believers. Your mission is your service to unbelievers. Can I say that one more time? Your ministry is your service to believers. Your mission is your service to unbelievers. So as a child of God, I have a ministry and I have a mission. And if you are a good Bible scholar, you have been reading your Bible, you will see it expressly there. My mission, my ministry. A ministry to the body of Christ, to other believers. A mission to the unsaved world. I was thinking about this a few days ago. I mean, I was just, just meditating on this. And I had to be telling myself, my mission cannot be to pay house rent. <laughs> yeah. My life is too important than that. It's much more important than that. Yeah. My mission cannot be to pay school fees only. Do I'm paying school fees? I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But my, my, my life has to have much more than that. Yeah. Can you think about it? If you are here, you work in a bank. Maybe you're, you're in operation. Your, your mission cannot be to be counting other people's money only. Yeah. That, it has to be something greater than that. Is somebody say with me today? Yeah. It has to be something greater than that. Your mission cannot just be to build houses for people and collect their money. It has to be something more than that if you're in real estate. It has to be something at least a little more than that. Because God has his own original intention concerning your life. He has his own original intention concerning your life. There's something that he has in mind when he set the goal for you to be born. David was speaking somewhere in Psalms. He said, my, my, my form was not eating from you. My ship was, when you rot me in, you know, it rot my, uh, something like rot me in my innermost being or something like that. He said, my, my, the number of my days were written in your books. I mean, David was just thinking about how so in charge God was about his life. Yeah, and that he knew everything about him. And it's your mission that gives your life meaning. It's your mission that gives your life meaning. Yeah, it's your mission that gives your life meaning. Jesus, for 21 years of his life, from age 12, when he told his parents, don't you think I must be about my father's business? To 33, when he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. 21 straight years of just focusing on the mission of God for his life. Can you let me tap your neighbor this morning? Say, are you focusing on God's mission for your life? Yeah. There has to be more, much more, than whatever is fetching you, livelihood, or... Because your mission is not just to live. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. A lot much more than that. So the best use of life is to spend it for something that is... That, that outlast it. Yeah, that's the best use of life. To spend it on something that outlasts it. And one thing that will last forever is the kingdom of God and God's agenda. Yeah. So only the kingdom of God is going to last forever. Everything else eventually will vanish. 
everything else eventually will vanish. So I want to challenge us this morning with this short exhortation that I've titled Unashamed. Unashamed. Just bringing us again to the realization and the awareness of the fact that God has a mission for your life and you have to take it up unashamed. So winning becomes a culture when your Christianity or your walk with God is contagious. Yeah. When your, your Christianity, when your walk with God becomes contagious, then soul winning becomes a culture. That's, and I'm doing it based on the realization of the fact that I have a mission to my world. That's part of why God is keeping me alive. When Jesus finished his own mission, he yielded his life. Assignment finished. Yeah. And he said, it is finished. When he said it is finished, all he was saying is that the assignment is finished. The work of redemption of humanity is done. Where, yeah. Like when, you know, when you, when the people in media, when they do video shoots, they say, it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. That was what Jesus did. When he hung on the cross, he said, it's a wrap. Well, this is, this is done. Yeah. The price completely paid. That's how I want to live my life, so that when, when, I, when I'm about to take my last breath, I can say, it is finished. It's a wrap. It's, it's a good life. And I'm uh, and not saying that just because I have so many properties and money that I don't know who will spend it, and I don't know what will happen to it. You know, not just because of that, but because of a sense of mission and purpose that I understand that God has a plan for my life. I fulfill this plan. I have fulfilled this mission for my life. Is somebody still with me this morning? Very, very important. It's extremely important. It's extremely important. So we're on a mission, and a huge part of that mission, like I said, is to the unsaved world. How are you doing with the thing that touched, that, you know, the thing, the one thing that touches the heart of God the most, which is the souls of men? Yeah, the souls of men. When soul winning becomes a culture, then your Christianity starts to have meaning. I said last Sunday that part of Jesus' curriculum for disciple making, for making, for raising his disciples, is soul winning. There's a level of spiritual development that you may never be able to get to until you become a soul winner. Yeah. Because it opens you up to another dimension of your faith. I know it's very challenging, and that's why I'm bringing this message this morning. I know sometimes we feel funny about it. And some people will walk out of church and say, well, it's a pastor, so it must be easier for him. But I tell you, uh, um, you, you may not be thinking the truth. Because the fact that I'm a pastor, for instance, doesn't mean that it just makes it automatically easier for me. Yeah. Especially when you get to territories where, you know, Nobody knows you, you don't know anybody, and you're just regular. Yeah. Or to places where you feel that somebody will criticize you if you say anything about the gospel. So I'm flying on the plane sometimes, and the way somebody's looking at me, I'm wondering, well, why is this guy looking at me? And then eventually somebody walks up to me, maybe a man or a woman, and say, oh, how are you doing? Uh, it looks like I know you somewhere, you know. And I said, okay, uh, you know me somewhere? Okay, uh, where? Where can it be? Because I, I, I don't want to just say, oh, I'm a pastor. Yeah, because I've said it before. And it resulted in something that was not good. 
So, so, you know, I mean, you can imagine somebody just seeing you like that and say, I'm a pastor. And then the person looks like you. I say, so you're one of them. You know, or something like that. Or, you know, something crazy. That person just looks at you, eh, and they won't say anything again. And just walk away. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, just say- <laughs> I'm just saying this so that you understand that <laughs> sometimes it's not as easy as you think, even for me as a pastor. But can we challenge ourselves this morning? The first step in making soul winning a culture is to deal with the shame factor. So let's talk about the shame factor this morning. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul writing here to all believers says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jews first, and also the Greek. Talking about all of us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. For that to unpack this simple statement, it's loaded. Can you help me look at your neighbor this morning and say, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Ideally, shame should come as a result of committing an offense. Yeah. So, it presupposes that the reason why some people feel like being ashamed of the gospel may mean like, maybe you feel like it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people feel it's the wrong thing to do in certain environment. Sometimes people feel it's the wrong, it's the wrong person to be, to be the person preaching. Because you are, you, are, you are making people feel uncomfortable. Or you are trying to be a, a moralist. That's why you are preaching. And nothing can be further from the truth. If you know the cure for HIV AIDS, and your next door neighbor is sick with HIV AIDS, will you say, Going to give him the kill makes you a moralist or you allow him to die. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. And that's why we need to be careful about the things that the devil is sowing into our mind. You know, the Bible says he has, is uh, very subtle. Yeah. Because the won't, won't, devil will not come and meet you and say, don't preach. But he will sow seeds in your mind. Things that will make you feel funny about the whole idea of being a witness for Jesus. And the moment, you know, you carry the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in your heart, and the first assignment of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, uh, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Many people would like to do many things with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, give me wisdom. Holy Ghost, anoint me. Power to heal the sick, to do this. But he said it's for witnessing. The moment you're not using that thing for the primary purpose for which it has been given to you, you're not using the Holy Spirit for the primary purpose for which he has been given to you, then you, you, you just become an abuser, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Because there's a primary purpose. Every other thing is secondary. Yeah. When we talk about anointing today, all that some people are thinking about is just breakthrough. Yeah. The primary purpose of the anointing is to be an anointed, empowered witness for Jesus. Every other thing is secondary. Yeah. Why do I want to break through? Is to witness Christ that God blesses people. 
Why do I want to be healed? It's to witness to, to, to someone that Christ is still healing today. Am I speaking to somebody here this morning? It's very important. So the first step in making so winning a culture is to deal with the shame factor. Shame only comes when we feel a sense that we're committing an offense. Yeah. Shame, the first place you see it in the Bible is in Genesis, when God showed up to Adam and Eve after they committed the, 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 the first sin. said, we heard your voice, we were ashamed or afraid, and we started to hide ourselves. Can you hear me tell your neighbor one more time? Say, don't be, don't be ashamed of the gospel. So where does the shame about preaching come from? What factors attempt to create shame? One, I'm just helping you to see and place yourself. Because I've been able to place myself somewhere here and I'm resolving it. So it's your turn to place yourself. Where is the shame coming from? One is popular culture. Popular culture suggests that a life of sin is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and when you look at people who, are, who feel cool about themselves and who engage popular culture, then you look like an outcast, right? If you want to say something different. One of the things that the devil is doing today is to make what is wrong cool. Yeah. To, 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 to make, I don't know how to put it better, to, to make sure that people feel good about nonsense. It is called reprobate mind. To do things that are not convenient with pleasure. Reprobate mind. The devil gives people reprobate mind. They do things that are unthinkable and they celebrate it. That's a reprobate mind. A mind that is completely twisted. And a lot of us have people around us with twisted minds. They speak out about their thinking and you wonder, are there still people thinking like this? And if we want to base how we live our own lives on what people with reprobate minds celebrate, then we'll be far behind God's purpose for our lives. Yeah. Popular culture, a lot of the time, is is based on reprobate mind or reprobate mindset. Yeah. That's what it's based on. Another one is fear of rejection. Some people... Ashamed of the gospel just simply because of fear of rejection. You don't want somebody to say, hey, I don't want to hear. Eh, don't talk to me about it. Eh, it's okay, it's okay, sister. It's okay. Sister of God. Yeah. Eh, it's okay. Uncle of Jesus. Yeah. Carry your Jesus and go with it. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that's why some people don't preach. Meanwhile, some of us, we market many things. We have a target at work. People reject us every day and we still go back. Yeah, because our strength is at stake. Yeah, because mortgage is at stake, so you have to go back. What are you doing for heaven so that heaven knows that you are also committed to God's cause? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. We can't give rejection as an excuse for not preaching the gospel. Another thing that, that 
brings shame. It's fear of being called a hypocrite. Fear of being called a hypocrite. A sense of inadequacy or unworthiness. Part of where it comes from is true past failure. You know, there are people who just feel like somebody like me should not be preaching. Yeah. Someone like me should not be preaching. Some people feel, I mean, how much Bible do I even know, Seth? You know, I really don't know the Bible. Apart from John 3, 16, I don't know any other scripture. Yeah. So why, why should I? You know the truth? You need to know the Bible for your good. But you don't need to know all the Bible to be a witness. Because what God wants you to talk about is not just about the Bible. It's also about you. Jesus healed a blind man in the scripture. The man that was blind from birth. And then they, they, they showed up to persecute him for healing the man. And uh, they, they came to meet the man who had been healed. And asked him, who healed you? He said, uh, you know what the man said? He said, before I was blind, now I can see. Whether the man is a good man or a bad man, that's not part of my business. What is important to me now is that when I was blind, all of you were, you were minding your business. Now that I can see, it now became an issue for you. Please, let me be. Yeah. Before I was blind, now I can see. Shikina. Yeah. That, that's the most important thing. To, and that's the thing. You don't need to know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Though you need to study the Bible. But that should not be what is stopping you from preaching. The moment you engage somebody who is cantankerous, who wants to uh, uh, floor you and bring what is not in the Bible. You know some unbelievers, they are very terrible. <laughs> they know that what they are saying is not even in the Bible. Yeah. They just want to, I mean... You, you, I remember the story of a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, who was applying for a visa uh, to go to the U.S. and then was meeting the consular officer. And the consular officer asked him that, oh, he said you're a pastor. Yes, he said you should. He said, talk about the ten horns of the apothecary. <laughs> my, my, my friend said, <laughs> look at my friend, my friend said, his mind went blank, and the next thing that came out of his mind, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. <laughs> because the, the guy was just like, whatever you're talking about, must be something they do in Leviticus or somewhere that I don't know. How I, I don't. <laughs> we had a good laugh when he came back and was sharing his experience. So you, you, you can imagine. <laughs> Sometimes that's what some unbelievers do, just just to floor you. They ask you that you should quote Ezekiah chapter nine and verse two. Meanwhile, there's no book of Ezekiah in the Bible. <laughs> and all they want to do is just to, to you, you know, be thinking about it. Ezekiah, Ezekiah chapter nine, and the guy in his mind is laughing at you. He say, ah, see. <laughs> Praise God. So it's important that we understand that uh, uh, you don't have to feel like you should know everything. God just wants you to be a witness. Stop. I mean, just deal with this sense of inadequacy or unworthiness. 
You know, there are things that people do that life happens to you, and that does not mean that you should stop preaching. In is it John chapter uh, 4 or so, Jesus met a, a woman at the well, and then they started to talk, and then Jesus gave her a word of knowledge. The man that you are now with, you know, is not, you are not even married to, to him, and this is the fifth man that you, when the conversation ended, this woman went into the city and started to talk about Jesus. Come and see a man, a real man, the man who told me everything about me. The, the, the woman did not go and say, how can this person be the person that will introduce the Messiah to us, this one that has been married five times, that is now even living in adultery? How come God always goes to the people that seemingly will be rejected and those are the people he wants to make his mouthpiece? I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. So you can't say because you failed before. Somebody may be here listening to me this morning. You were, you know, you once cheated in the office or something. Now you are a Christian. Now you have repented. God has forgiven you your sins. Does that mean you can't, because of that, preach the gospel again for life? One of our pastors here had an experience with me, with us in the course of the week, uh, when he was a young boy in the boarding house, uh, um, he was caught packing other people's food in the dining hall. So the senior, the tradition was that if you are caught with other people's food, you will put the food on your head in the middle of the dining hall and stand there. And at that week time, he had become born again and used to preach. So people would be passing and say, ah, ah, eh, born again, born again. Yeah, and he had the food on his head like this. He said until he left secondary school, he never opened his mouth to speak to anybody about Jesus. Just because of that experience. What experience is taking you away from fulfilling your life's mission? One experience is not good enough. Peter denied Jesus, but yet he preached on the day of Pentecost. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. He denied Jesus three times, but yet on the day of Pentecost, he still preached to thousands of people, and God people say, what's the shame factor? Where is it coming from? When God has forgiven you, that's the hand of shame. You need to understand that God will not mark you down completely. You may have made a mistake. One mistake cannot define your destiny. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying here this morning. So make, be, be bold to speak about Jesus. Something may not have worked out in your life, but that does not cancel the call of God on your life or the mission of God for your life. You have to boldly stand for Jesus and declare his word. Another one is being the odd one. The one odd one out or just dealing with peer pressure. The truth is that righteousness makes you swim against the tide. If you want to be, I mean, remain a righteous person, you have to be willing to swim, swim against the tide. So don't like, allow, you see, peer pressure is not, when, when, when we talk about peer pressure, sometimes people think we're talking about kids in primary school or secondary school. No. Adults have peer pressure. Yeah, adults have peer pressure. I was once counseling a man who was about to take a second wife. Yeah, a few years ago. His wife reported the case to me, and then I asked for an appointment with him. Yeah, he was a little older than me, and we sat down and we were talking. And one of the first things that he told me was to mention the name of then the current bank MD that had two wives who was doing very well. I said, Pastor, what do you have to say about that? That's my mentor. <laughs> and I looked at him. In my heart, I was singing, How dumb thou art. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the song in my mind. So that's, that was just peer pressure. 
Yeah. And he was trying to justify it by all kinds of things. I thank God for his life. But what I'm saying is that even adults get into peer pressure. These are some of the things that make us, you know, not to want to deal with the shame factor and be a witness. The incorrect perception that Christians, Christianity is weak. Yeah. That, and that Christians are weak. Weak-minded. Weak, you know, that, you know, Christians are pushed around people, you know. So some, I don't want to identify. Because when I preach now, they will think I'm irrational. Or I'm weak mentally. You understand? That's the, sometimes that's a perception that some people have of Christians. And because of that, you don't want to say Jesus did this or Jesus can save you and can bless you, can, can, can give you a better life and share your experience with Jesus and allow people to get into what God is doing in your life and fulfill the mission of God for your life. Because your life, you can't be alive today just because you have to pay bills. No. It can't be because of house rent or school fees. Your life has much more value than that. God has his own plan. He has a mission. You have a mission to the world that is unsafe and crying for help. You do. You do. In closing this morning, three things to remember. One is that the gospel is powerful. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful. It is the only thing that has the power to save. I said this last Sunday. I will keep saying it. We will keep saying it all through this series. The gospel, Jesus, the finished work on the cross of Calvary is the only thing. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Say amen, somebody. That's the only way to God. The only way to God. It's not morality. Yeah. Morality cannot appeal to God. The Bible says man's righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Man does not have the capacity to save himself. That's why God came to our rescue. By sending the first begotten of the Father. Yeah. And even in the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and animals covered people's sins so that they could appear before God. Then, when John saw Jesus, John the Baptist, and he looked at him and said, behold the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He knew what he was talking about. Because the moment Jesus died once and for all, it's not just dying for one, he died for all. And he took away our sins. Or paid the price for our sins once and for all. And we can't know this and then keep keeping it away from people. You know, the perception people have is that when you want to pray to them, all you are coming to tell them is that they should stop sinning. And that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is good news. Your sins have been forgiven. The price, the penalty for your wrongdoing is paid. That's the gospel. Don't you think that somebody will receive that better from us? We shouldn't have that you know, disposition that our message is stop sinning. No. Our message is help is here. You're struggling. You're like a man struggling to stay afloat in a swimming pool that we call life. And there's a lifeguard that is positioned. And his name is Jesus. He has a skill. He has everything. He's paid the price. And he wants to help you. That's our message. That's our message. Not stop sinning. 
Because when grace comes upon a man, what happens is that the, that same person who has been struggling to sing, I mean, uh, struggling to stay afloat, will float and enjoy swimming. If you, if, you, if you know anything about swimming, you understand what I'm talking about. One of the first things they, 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 they teach you in swimming is how to get used to water so that you're not even afraid of water. Next is, how can you stay afloat? Because until you can stay afloat, you can't swim. You have to follow about float before you can move your hand and your leg. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. It's the same thing. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can you stay in this world and be rest? I mean, be restful and assured that all things shall be well. That's where it starts from. Because it's the pressure in this world that push people to do things that are against God's plan for their lives. The pressure that is available in this. And this world is highly pressurized. Highly pressurized. So our first message is to tell them his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You can enter into his rests and allow him to carry you. You can float without thinking you're going to die. You can float without thinking that you're, you're going to sink. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That's, that's our real message. That's our real message. So I said three things. One, that the gospel is powerful and it's the only thing that has the power to save. Secondly, God specializes in using people in spite of their issues. That's the second thing I wanted to get out of this message this morning. The gospel is powerful. God specializes in using people in spite of who they are, where they have been, what they have gone through. Yeah. He, he, he did it all the time. In the New Testament, he used someone like, like, like Paul, who was um, a, a persecutor of the church and arranged many people's death and sentenced to prison. And the same person, God used him. In the Old Testament, God used Rahab, a harlot, to preserve his own people. And then Rahab got into the lineage of Jesus Christ. God uses, I can go on and on and on. God uses anyone. All you need is to have a sense of mission. That God has a purpose for my life. And it's beyond paying bills. And staying afloat financially. It's good to be able to pay your bills. But there's much more to destiny than that. You have a ministry to the body of Christ. And a mission to the unsaved world. Third and last one. God will hold you accountable for the people who are around you, or those he has sent you to. As we leave this place this morning, one thing is certain, except you didn't hear anything that I said, and I believe you heard me, and I believe even for the people watching online, you heard me, and the Holy Spirit will keep, you know, staring this in your heart. God is going to bring you into situations this week that he, he will want you to do something, say something. You may be in an elevator, just with one person, and the person just looks at you and says, how come you're smiling? You should be able to say, oh, it's because Jesus is working in my life. That in itself is enough. Because the person can say, clarify. And then, you throw in the clencher. Yeah. Sometimes, people get saved on their own, in their bedroom, just thinking about what somebody told them. And their heart starts to desire a better life. But for you to be in the elevator and somebody is saying, oh, I like your jacket, I like your smiling. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit is saying, say something. Yeah, say something to that person. The sower sows the seed. Our challenge this 
month is that you, you speak to at least two people every week about Jesus. And make sure you, at the end of this month or at the end of this series, you have an abiding soul. An abiding soul is someone that you are brought into God's kingdom and you have, that person is now planted in this church. who you brought in and we said our missions team will have a stand outside. You can register them there for uh, our new believers experience, the faith development classes, so that they can start to grow. There's no point preaching to people and the enemy, you know, dealing with them afterwards and they've forgotten everything you said and they're, they're even worse off because the next time somebody comes, they'll say, oh, it's one of them. Somebody came before, he didn't do anything to me. Because the devil is always looking to how to snatch them out. That's why you have to strive for one, if it's just one abiding soul that you're able to give to God this year, so that when we gather 31st of December, the only thing, I mean, if, don't let it be that all the things you'll be celebrating is just job promotion, and this one, and that one, and I got married this year, and all that. What about God's mission to this world, and your part in it? Yeah. God will be much more delighted if he came in, and you can say, Lord, I present this to you as the fulfillment of my mission on this planet this year. I taught this life. I blessed this person. I brought this person into the kingdom of God. Because God will hold us responsible. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18 lastly. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. You give him no warning. Now speak to one, the wicked, from his wicked, wicked way. To save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and it does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. God is counting on us to reach out, to speak to people, to fulfill our mission on earth which is to be a soul winner. Jesus said in John 20, I think verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You are sent. Yes, you are sent. I also send you. So you are sent, and you must be, behave like a sent one. Will you lift your two hands to Jesus this morning and just tell him, Lord, I'm yielding myself to you to be used, to fulfill my mission and my assignment I want to fulfill my mission I have a mission to the world I ask that you quicken my heart this week to notice to see people that I can challenge about their faith God will bring somebody to your way this week that you just need to invite to church or maybe they will come in like this and they give their life to Christ God is bringing somebody your way this week that you just need to be able to challenge out of casual conversation, you, you have the opportunity to challenge them to let them know that God has a mission for their lives. God has a purpose for their lives. And that Jesus is good. And the price has already been paid. They don't have to live in guilt and condemnation any longer because God has forgiven them their sins. As you do that this week, you know that God is delighted in you. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and every other thing shall be added. The things that you are running after, they will be added. Because you are a lover of God's kingdom. You are a lover of souls. The same way God said, I don't wish that any should perish, but I all will come to repentance. That should be your wish also. And that's when it starts to make sense. The 
things that God is doing in our world. That's why when your life really starts to count. Pray for grace this morning. Pray for grace this morning. Lord, I thank you for opportunities that you are bringing our way this week. Thank you for opportunities you are bringing our way this week. To turn someone who is on the fast lane to hell around. So that the attention can, can, can uh, uh, be on you. Use us this week to save the lost. Use us this week to heal the heart of someone whose heart is completely broken and shattered. Use us this week as soul winners. As we open our mouths to speak, fill it with great words of grace that will turn lives of people around. We thank you for the opportunity to engage in your mission for our world. And we bless you for the great things that you will do through our lives as a church and as individuals as we engage our world positively this week. We ask that you order the steps of everyone under the influence of this service today, everyone watching online, order our steps to souls. Order our steps to people in need. Order our steps to people in need of prayer, in need of encouragement, that your kingdom may come in their lives and that we may fulfill your mission for our life. We thank you and we praise you. We give you glory and we bless you, our Father, in the name of Jesus. Still with all eyes bowed and all eyes closed, can I pray for anyone in this service this morning?